Welcome in to Two Floor and Drafts. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner, my guy, my co-host. We got a lot of good things planned for today. I mean, we're going to go over the little show schedule, little show agenda before we get into things. We're going to do our normal Tuesday segments, raise a glass to some of the top prospect performances from the weekend. Andrew Thomas is going to be on that list. Mm-hmm. Justin Herbert, we got some good names on that one. We're also going to be pouring some out to some of the bad prospect performances. Florida edge defenders, Greenard and Zuniga will be brought up. Shine O'Grady, the suspended. No, he just left school. There's a lot of off-field stuff to discuss with Shine O'Grady. Formerly of Arkansas. Um, We'll pour some out for Shine O'Grady and company. We're also going to go right to the rookies, our Rolling Rooks segment, where we talk about some of the best rookie performances from the weekend. We also got a fair share of blackouts. Blackout segment being bad rookie performances from the weekend. Then we're going to finish off a little microbrew. Guy out of North Texas you want to hear about. So should be a good pod. Let's go kick it off with these raise a glass segment. We got to start with Andrew Thomas. 18 true pass sets in this one. Those are ones where 2.5 second long drop. You're removing play action, removing screen, really trying to look at Andrew Thomas in pass protection on standard dropbacks. Zero pressures. Zero pressures on those. He took Florida's defensive line to town. He really, this was a performance, like you said, before he went in this one, scouts will go back to and watch, and they're Mm going to be very pleased with Andrew Thomas. Yeah, one of the biggest criticisms we had had of him also was that they don't do a lot of true pass sets in that offense. They run a lot, very run heavy. They actually run more than they pass in that offense or had, you know, over the course of his career. Uh, And this was the second most true pass sets he's taken in a game all season. The most, obviously, that South Carolina game where they passed like 60 times. But this was the second most all season. Didn't allow a single pressure on any of those. Only did allow one against Jonathan Greenard on the day. But it was play action pass. Kind of flies out selling a run fake. uh, Gets beaten inside. Quick move from Greenard. More of a hat tip to Greenard for recognizing that it was play action and getting that inside move right away. Not necessarily the worst uh, pressure to give up if you're Andrew Thomas. So a fantastic day from him. Uh, and that's what you need to see. I mean, a lot of guys aren't going to face a lot of tackles in the draft class aren't going to face a pass rusher as good as Greenard all season long or as good as Zuniga all season long. And so you don't know how they're going to fare when they go up against guys who will be playing in the NFL. So it's a big, like you said, it would be tape that scouts go back to and watch him for him to handle himself that admirably. Huge for him. Andrew Thomas, the you know six foot five, three hundred twenty pound left tackle for Georgia, now has a ninety two point six overall grade across four hundred ninety seven offensive snaps. This was one of his best games of the year going against that NFL competition. Very athletic for his size. <clears throat> Excuse me, very athletic for his size, and I think. I really came impre- came away impressed with this one. Sorry, Something. coughing up a dang lung here. <laughs> um, 90.8 overall grade against Florida. I think this was a very impressive performance for him. Where is Andrew Thomas for you right now in this offensive line class? Man, it's tough. Guards and tackles. Because I, I had like Wirfs and Thomas as 1-2. I had Wirfs ahead of them. But it's getting close in terms of uh, they're 1A, 1B right now. They're really indecipherable for me. I might even have Thomas at higher by the end because he's going to face better competition than Worf is going to have faced. He's going to have faced a lot tougher slate of edge rushers and held his own. Uh, and both are kind of in protected offenses. Uh, I always use a lot of tight ends, so you're just not getting as many sort of one-on-ones or not getting as many attacks from edge rushers. Uh, when you are protected with a tight end, you're more uh, – the amount you give up pressure then is more like a guard gives up pressure than a tackle just because of how you're protected with that guy outside you and where the defensive end has to line up at that point. So both guys get protected. Both guys are freaks of nature athletically. Both guys are grading out extremely well. So for me, it's very much a toss up at this point. I think both though 
viable to be top 10 picks. Uh, if you're going to draft one at, you know, number five, number six, I'm not going to argue with you at this point. They're both that good. And what's unfortunate too, is they're both underclassmen. We're not going to see senior. these guys as one-on-ones exactly. in the senior bowl. It's not unfortunate that they're younger. It's unfortunate that we don't get a chance to see them mm-hmm. in mobile against one-on-one competition against future NFL competition. But bar, I would agree with you 100%, both of them being top 10 picks right now. And you've even talked about Worfs maybe even kicking into guard still worth that top spot because of so how athletic good. and how, how dominant he has been for Iowa. Let's move forward here in the raise of glass. We got to talk Justin Herbert. We've dogged Herbert on the we podcast have. in the past. A bit you know, unfair, not, not unfair. But. We, haven't, we haven't been excited about his personality. We, we mentioned the quicksand comment about him kind of pressing when he shouldn't be leaning into mistakes, you know, compound mistakes. But he's been, as you put here in your notes, quietly excellent the past few weeks. Herbert looking a lot better down the stretch. Yeah, four straight games here of just no real duds. They're just all solid games against Colorado, Washington, Washington State, and then USC this past week, 90.2 overall grade. And the way the ball just comes out of his hand mm. is different than the rest of this quarterback class. If he goes to the Senior Bowl in Mobile, he will raise his draft stock purely because it's more aesthetically pleasing to watch him throw the ball than a lot of the other quarterbacks. When he throws a deep out, very similar to Carson Wentz when he went to Mobile, it just looked better. When he throws a deep out, it's faster, spirals tighter. And he's going to be tall. Exactly. People are going to be drooling over this kid. It really is. There is a lot. There's a reason why, uh, you know, there is something to that in terms of it it just is going to, play on your biases you're gonna want that guy you're gonna think that's gonna get be excited better just about it Renner. i know it and it looks cool and he had a great deep out in this game against usc uh his one pick in this game was a miscommunication on a slant route with a wide receiver broke it off too early 21 of 26 225 yards just pinpoint accuracy he has that for me the questions are all up here it's mm-hmm. all between the ears so when he goes to senior bowl and the one-on-ones it's not going to do anything for me he's going to look excellent there uh, and I think he's going to vault himself back up. Uh, for us right now, the one-two QB is Tua Burrow. That's one and two for us. Uh, it's actually Burrow Tua at this point for us. And Herbert's a distant third on the outside looking in. But I think when he goes to the senior bowl, he's going to vault himself up, at least in the eyes of NFL evaluators, back to a possible top spot. And especially with his play down the stretch here where he's been good, not no, no still signature game against a good defense where he really just takes over. But he's just been good, solid thrower of the football. Talk about a guy who looks the part. You're going to hear that every it's day in draft season. Six, looks the six, part. 237. Exactly. People are going to bring up his size, his arm talent, and you know, throws differently. I think it's something we'll be, yeah. that will be said about him after the Senior Bowl. I think I'm most interested in, in what's going to come out in draft season, spin season, the interview process. I'm sure yes. there's going to be what's some a, some headlines what's coming out. What's his red out. flag? Is his it, red flag no red flags? It, 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 I think his red flag might be no red flags. He yeah. hasn't traveled a ton. People do not love that he's never left Eugene. I heard he gets scared mm-hmm. even leaving state lines. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I think the interview process the interview process is going to be interesting for him. Because yeah. I think there are some GMs, some football guys, they're going to be asking some tough questions that maybe he doesn't handle correctly. And I think with certain evaluators, they hold that you. in. Yeah, me. Interviewing yeah, I might, I might have to give this guy a call, see what he can do, see if he can meet us in DM him. Yeah, I might shoot him a DM or two. But Justin Herbert, I think, you know, like you said, quietly excellent, excellent these past few weeks, throws differently than the rest of this class. But between the ears, can he, can he get it done? Can it's, he yeah. be that gamer yeah, we, you want your quarterback to be, that you know Joe Burrow is? Yes, you know exactly. Joe Burrow is a gamer. He comes, you know, he comes alive on the grand stage. We're going to see that grand stage this weekend, too. We'll probably preview oh, that yeah, contest yeah. a ton on the Saturday podcast. Or not Saturday podcast, Thursday. Thursday podcast. We can do a Saturday one if you want. <laughs> um, 
that'll be excellent. But yeah, Justin Herbert lighting it up of late. Curtis Weaver, he had a very good game this past weekend against San Jose State, I think is what it was. Five pressures. What I love about Weaver, I turned on the tape with him. They play him at standout, stand-up outside linebacker a ton. He did a really good job beating off the tackles. I think he wins with hands more you know, a, a mm-hmm. lot, and I think I, I always fall in love with guys that win with their hands like he does, and like similar to Bradley and Nay. Maybe not a freak athlete from a burst standpoint, but he wins with his hands very consistently. But he also lines up you know, head up on the tackle, sometimes shaded inside, and wins from an interior as well. Positional versatility with him is fantastic. I put in my notes here, wins from multiple alignments. That just screams Baltimore Ravens to me. I know we've said it in the past, but it really does scream Ravens to me. He has another good game. So yeah, five pressures only in this one, but we had him down with 12 other pass rushes that went down as wins that didn't register as pressures because he beat the offensive lineman, but the ball was already out uh, because they they knew. They they knew that if they had him one-on-one, that he was going to beat the offensive lineman. They had to get that ball out of there. Yeah, he's just physically more, he's just dominant against these, you know, San Jose State tackles. It's, there's not much more he can prove at this point with the schedule he's going up against. Uh, you just have to bank on, you just have to be confident that he, with how dominant he is against as bad of the competition that he's playing, that it will translate to the next level. I believe it will. I mean, 93.1 pass rushing grade now for the season. The highest we've ever seen is 94.4. Obviously, Chase Young's going to break that this year, but he's right up there with the best pass rushing seasons we've ever seen. I don't really care what competition you're playing. If you're dominant at that level, I'm pretty sure it's going to work out for you. They play him in coverage a ton at Boise State, too. When they do line him at outside mm-hmm. linebacker, they drop him out a little bit. And he's not great in coverage like I thought Josh Allen was coming out of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But I think he's not a liability. I think that speaks to the kind of player he is. Very versatile, positionally versatile. Mm-hmm. I think I'm excited. He should get an invite to the Senior Bowl, right? Is he a senior or is he a redshirt junior? I'm not sure how the that works when mm-hmm. you're like a redshirt player. Because I think he's a redshirt junior. So oh. he does have another year of eligibility gotcha. left. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. That's unfortunate. I would like to see him at Senior Bowl. I would, I would too. like to see him in one-on-one situations against some Power 5 offensive look tackles. In, we, I'll look into that. See look into it for me, please. Yeah. Um, let's go to Jalen Johnson, Utah cornerback. Had a pick six in this one. Off coverage, sees the out, right, out route from a mile away. Great break on the ball. Takes it to the house. That was the best play of, his, of that game for the weekend. But he's a playmaker. Very good in coverage this year. I, I really do like Utah's uh, Jalen Johnson. What I loved, and you're going to love this, too, oh, is no. after the game, he said, I had tape study tight splits when they go to tight splits uh for the outside wide receiver washington out routes wow gonna be a lot of out routes so he jumped that via tape study you love to see a guy that's a difference maker that's a difference maker yes because jalen johnson has great size great athletic ability all these tools and great ball skills too and to to have combined good ball skills with then that uh level of preparation that, that is fantastic so four targets in this one uh, against Washington, you know, big, one of the biggest games of the year, didn't allow a single catch, had that pick. I, I think I, I underrated him going into this season because I didn't love his, uh, a lot of it came with, I didn't love his ability to stick with guys in man coverage throughout an entire route tree. I, I think he's still not going to be that guy, but you see a lot of successful cornerbacks at the NFL level, Xavier Howard, a uh, Marcus Peters, who, get beat from time to time. They're not going to stick with guys every single play, but the ones they do, they absolutely dominate the route. And that is Jalen Johnson uh, to a T. And and it shows up basically in his stats over the years has the highest passer ratings allowed for a single season is 57.6, three year starter. Now freshman year, 54.9 sophomore year, 57.6 this year, 44.7 in his coverage. He just doesn't allow, he will allow something. He will allow chunk plays 413 yards last year. He's not going to completely shut guys down. But when he does 
it is, you know, it's a dominant rep. It's a pick. It's a pass breakup. It's something that's a big play. So I do think that he's a guy who's made his way, who I've sort of changed my opinion on over the course of the season. He's one of the better cornerbacks in this class. Definitely flying up my personal board for that film study comment, mm-hmm. I would have to say. But I also want to ask you, we've talked a lot about this cornerback class, Christian Fulton. We've brought up even Bryce Hall, Jeffrey Akuda. Uh, where's Jalen Johnson for you? It, what, what kind of round grade are you giving him right now? Obviously, it's still a ton of football left yeah. to play, but mm-hmm. I, I, where is he at now for you? He's pushing up towards the second. Uh, I think I had him in the fourth uh, going into the year, and I think I'd be comfortable with like a mid to high second on him at this okay. point. Uh, he's going to be probably in the top 50 when we re- when we do our next uh, top 100 draft board. Let's go to this next guy here, Wake Forest quarterback Jamie Newman. Right now, looking at all quarterbacks at the college level with at least 200 dropbacks, he ranks Fourth, ahead of Justin Herbert in PFF passing grade, 13 big-time throws to only five turnover-worthy plays. You came away really impressed with him. Talk to me about Jamie Newman. Yeah, had a big game against NC State. Uh, 25 of 38, 287 yards, three TDs, 87.6 passing grade. Wake Forest QB has uh, been v- exceptional this year. Lowest grade a game in the season had a 71.4 passing grade. That's his worst game. Uh, you know, it's like jo- Joe Burrow's worst game has been lower, was lower graded than Jamie Newman's worst game. So every week in, week out has showed up every single week. I'm not sure he necessarily declares. Uh, has another year of eligibility left. He doesn't have the strong arm. So I, on, the, on the broadcast, the goddamn announcers kept comparing him to Cam Newton. Oof. Now he, he's mobile. He can run. Uh, he can't run like Cam Newton. He's about 35 pounds lighter than Cam Newton, and he doesn't have a cannon for an arm, but he's accurate. Mm-hmm. So he's literally nothing like. <laughs> uh, so he's literally nothing like Cam Newton. But they kept comparing him to Cam Newton, which was pretty absurd to me. Uh, but he is far more the my biggest, my favorite trait of his. Now, while he doesn't have a big arm, is that when he does take his chances down the football field, he throws to the receiver's leverage. He is he knows when to take that chance. He has some beautiful risks. vertical lead throws and on yes, his tape. Yes. He puts the ball on those vertical on the vertical route tree to the wide receiver's leverage. And you don't need a cannon of an arm to be able to throw down the football field on vertical throws like that. And I think that's uh, when Newman has been exceptional. It's similar to a guy like Russell Wilson. Wilson's one of, probably the best deep ball thrower in the NFL because of that, because he understands where to put the ball for the receiver's leverage and not put it on the cornerback's leverage. Newman has some of that to his game. I did a little stat digging for you that speaks to that. Right now, among all quarterbacks, at least 50 throws of 10-plus air yards, he ranks second in PFF passing grade behind Joe Burrow. That speaks to those vertical leads. That speaks to that deep ball placement on a vertical route Uh tree. And I think you make a great distinction that I don't know if a ton of draft analysts or even just NFL draft fans are buying into right now, though, because you don't need a great arm to be good at throwing the football deep down the football Mm -hmm. field. I think we've seen that a little bit with Gardner Minshew. You, Jamie Newman, another example. If you don't have a, a rocket arm, if you're not Jamarcus Russell, you can still throw down the football field pretty well if you understand receivers' leverage and things like that. And his deep out's not going to look like Herbert's. No, uh, no. Herb- his deep out comes out like, like on a loop. Yeah. We call it the looping <laughs> out. I mean, me and Eric Eager, one of PFF's the data scientists, yeah. are, are called the, yeah, the deep looping out route from Gardner Minshew, but it's gr- thrown with great anticipation, yes. accurate. Maybe the corner breaks on it. I, I don't know, but I mean, I, I do think that is a good thing to bring up, though. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be you know, a, a, a deep throw, like a really good from an arm talent perspective to throw the football down the field well. And Jamie Newman, an example of that. Maybe he doesn't declare grading really well right now. And, you know, second in PFF passing grade on throws of 10 plus air yards behind Joe Burrow. That's it's, good company. Yes, exactly. Moving forward here. I can't believe they compared him to Cam Newton. I know. Maybe it's Newman like, Newton. That is an easy jump. I will say that. Newman Newton. The name is similar. I mean, there's, outside of we that, know though, why they did it, but yeah. Yeah, oh, man. Let's go to UNC wide receiver Diami. Diami Brown. I think I'm going to go Diami there. Yeah. Okay. Diami Brown. I, w- I watched 
his, his targets in this one. I, I think there was breaks, you know, two really bad tackles on that first that slant kind of against off coverage, and he takes that one deep. He broke another tackle, another pass. This guy's a big, well built wide receiver that was hard to bring down in this game. He did have two ugly drops in this one. There, it was an up and down performance, but overall, great production, earned a high grade in this one. We're going to you know raise a glass to this kid. Yeah, it was really nice. This was the best performance of his career, even though he did have a couple drops here. Six catches, though, 202. Uh, now has nine drops on 41 catchable for Yeesh. the season, but he is a solid receiver, going to be good after the catch, even though he does only have six broken tackles on six or on 32 catches. A lot of his uh, targets, though, have been down the football field, so it's not necessarily conducive to uh, breaking tackles after the catch. I think he will be. That will be something that's you know throughout the course of his North Carolina career, something he is good at. So uh, definitely a name to watch uh, going forward. You know, I watched. Uh, he he has he runs his post against off coverage in this game pat, mm-hmm. this past week. Absolutely cooks the corner at the top of the route. It looks like the the corner's running through mud. Just burns him mm-hmm. to the uh, to the side. But then there's another route. Runs a little bit of a stutter and go. Corner even bites on it, but still ends up being a contested target in the end zone. He catches it. A, mm-hmm. a big part of that big receiving grade. I think. What I came away with this is that there are some tools here. I like his, you know, the, the missed tackles I saw in this one, the play after the catch. I still think I'd like to see a little bit more polish. Looked like he was running a little wild out in this game, but I do yeah. think a better game for his career definitely put him on the map a little bit. Um, all right, well, that's going to do it for our Raise a Glass segment where we talk some of those top prospect performances. It's time to pour some out for some of the bad prospect performances, and it starts opposite of Andrew Thomas. Jabari Zuniga and Jonathan Greenard both struggled against Georgia's offensive line. And, and, and go ahead, jump right into Jabari. Yeah, Zuniga didn't actually even go up against Thomas. <laughs> he just went up against everyone else on Georgia's offensive line, which is a very good offensive line, uh, and basically got shut out. One pressure on 17 pass rushes, and I, I think this is what you worry about. And what we said going into the year when he started off so hot against Miami, we're like, yes, he is a freak athlete. He will dominate guys who can't move. He did not show up last year against any sort of reasonable tackle. I think he had something like a 60 uh, grade in the low 60s pass rusher against SEC play last year. And now, you know, yes, he's just coming back from injury uh, for, I think his first game back. But I think this is what you worry about when he shows up against a real offensive line that knows what they're doing, that can somewhat match his athleticism. He has no recourse. Uh, And so I think that that's, uh, he's still my, Evaluation on him heading into the year really has not changed this season. Can we comfortably say that the three guy then the then eval? And even though Jonathan Greenard had a better, you know, play, didn't didn't have a great game in this one, but mm. played better than Zuniga. But can we say now that Greenard is a better prospect than Zuniga in this class? I believe he is. Mm-hmm. I think he's definitely the better player right now. The one I'd rather have, you know, going up against SC play. He did get Andrew Thomas at least once and had the inside move. Yeah, and that inside move had three pressures on the day. Uh, so it wasn't great, but I think he's the better prospect. He uses his hands just so much, so much better. It, it just has much more of a plan as a pass rusher. Than and and Greenard, too, he went against Thomas, beat him on that inside move. It was the only win against Thomas. But he also, I don't know if you saw the rep where he jacks up the right tackle on a bull rush, walks him right back into the quarterback. Greenard, I think, shows more versatility in his pass rush moves, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Jabari Zuniga had one, I'd say, one really it's good rep against the guard. Yeah. Had one good rep against the guard, but outside of that, I think he struggled to create pressure. I, that I would, is the weird thing about Zuniga is he's like an interior rusher. Yes, he doesn't rush like on the edge. They put like they put him inside all the time. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I would say Greenard better prospect right now. Mm-hmm. Um, moving forward, let's pour another one out for a guy that's no longer in school. I think he might be mm-hmm. looking for jobs on the street. Cheyenne O'Grady of Arkansas, a guy that on the football field 
wowed. You know, great yes. after the catch, could force missed tackles, looked like this tight end that could play in the NFL. He's walking away from Arkansas. What was it? Third suspension for the, from this team? Third suspension in his career with two different coaching staffs. Had a DWI as a freshman. Uh, got suspended for just violation of team rules. What's a rules. DWI? It's a DUI. Oh, really? Yeah, driving while intoxicated. It's I've never just, even heard of that. It's it's. I think different states call it different, uh, have different Interesting. designations. But yeah, DWI, DUI, whatever you want. He had one of those. <laughs> um, he also... Uh, uh, got spent a couple games. I think it was a, as a junior for just violation of team rules, and then was suspended for last week's game. Uh, and then after the game, it's like, hey, I, you know, peace. I'm out. Uh, I'm not going to play anymore. So that's bad. Mm-hmm. Those are red flags that you just the opposite you, of Herbert's red flag it, in that he has no red yeah. flag. Cheyenne Grady has too these many are, red these flags. These are real <laughs> red flags, and he could have been like the top ten in this class if he shows up, puts in the work, has a big season this year as a redshirt senior because he has that sort of talent. Great hands, great after the catch, eight broken tackles on 33 catches this year. Those are ridiculous numbers for a tight end, but he didn't. And now he's back to, I mean, like, I don't, he's not going to get try and get this guy on the podcast. He's not going to get touched. Let's go, let's go reach out to Cheyenne O'Grady and see what happens. He's not doing, get the, he's, get the he's got story. time on his hands. You know, because right I feel like you do get a lot of the stories from the outside. You get from the coaching staff, you get it from the headlines and stuff. Yeah. Let's bring Cheyenne O'Grady on two for one, get to we the really bottom should. of this DWI or DUI, wherever you phrase it, and let, let's figure this out. I because might reach out. I might I shoot mean, him a DM, see how it goes. He's not going to be, he's day three at, highest at this mm-hmm. point you just i don't care how glowing his interviews nowhere are to go with up yeah. okay and he comes so. on the two for one drafts we find out the dude's a saint just dm him i'm gonna try i might i might make a move there let's go to the washington offense we're pouring some out for several of these guys mm-hmm. we have to start with trey adams i did not think he had a good game against bradley and a oh it, it was you're not the only one it was a it was a terrible eyes <laughs> It, it was a terrible showing. And yeah. I think, you know, Bradley and A beat him to the tune that Chase Young did a year ago. And Bradley and A isn't even close to as mm-hmm. athletic as Chase Young is. I'm, I'm like honestly really concerned with Trey Adams' tape at this point. And that doesn't even include the injury concerns with Adams. I think I'm very tired of hyping him up as one of the top offensive tackles in this class. I, I think Bradley and A, what he did this past week, is pushing him down boards for sure. Yeah. So 22 true pass sets. On those, he had an 18.2 pass blocking grade. Wow, that's Garrett Bradbury levels. Yeah, so three he gave up three pressures on those and had four more uh, what we call BDs, which are uh, plays where you lost as an mm-hmm. offensive lineman, but it didn't result in the pressure. Blocks so, defeated. Blocks defeated, yeah. So so seven of those, only lost seven of his 22 true pass sets, six total pressures on the day. It was just bad. Now, Jacob Eason didn't help him on some in terms of... Didn't step He could have stepped up more. And that's what we'll touch on. Jacob Easton's also a poor one out here because he had a bad, bad day. Three tur- three turnover-worthy plays. The pick six was dreadful. Jalen Johnson had it, threw a wheel route into double cover. It was just a disastrous decision to throw a wheel route and then had a fumble on a scramble. Uh, but his pocket presence was an, an issue. We talked about it with Trey. Uh, or Trevor, excuse me, last week. Tampa Bay Trey. Yeah, there we go. Trevor last week uh, about his pocket presence. He just... Did not react, had not reacted to pressure well, and he kept going out the back of the pocket. And he is not Russell Wilson. <laughs> you to go out the back of the pocket in the NFL, you have to be that level of an athlete. You have to be able to outrun NFL level edge defenders. Jacob Eason's not outrunning NFL level edge defenders. You cannot escape that way consistently. You have to step up. And his first move was always backwards, and that's something that is very concerning when looking at a college quarterback projecting to the pro. So a lot of red flags. 
for Jacob Eason. And, and, well. and something we talked about with Trevor Sikama on, on last week's podcast with Jacob Eason, too, is he struggles significantly under pressure. Right now, among all quarterbacks with at least 50 pressure dropbacks on the season, he ranks 91st in the FBS in pressured uh, passing grade at 39.5. Yeah. Turnover-worthy plays coming in bunches, only one big-time throw, struggling to complete passes when under pressure, I think panicking yeah. under pressure. And I think with, with pressured play, we always bring this up at PFF, it's very volatile. It goes up and down year to year. There are a lot of factors that go into pressure you know, uh, passing performance. But we'll say this. When you're utterly panicking under pressure, mm-hmm. that starts to be a major concern more than, yeah. you know, some bad things not going your way. Maybe the offensive line allowing pressure quickly, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. I think Eason right now, not impressing under pressure. Yeah, I think the outliers on either end of the sort of spectrum yes. still carry weight. And he is definitely an outlier on the low end if you're projecting him to the NFL. Uh, and the thing is, you go to the conversation now, should he declare? Uh, and his tape, he's had up and down tape. Now this was definitely the down. And going down against Utah is almost a tradition now for Pac-12 QBs. Garrett, Jerry Goff had six picks against Utah the year before he came out. So it's not a complete death knell, but he could improve his draft stock. But at the same time, as his pocket presence is that bad. He's losing both his tackles. He's losing Hilbers. He's losing Trey Adams. Do you come back next year and like risk that you might be under pressure a lot more and it Do might look even again? worse? <laughs> so <laughs> um, I don't know. With Easton, I, I, I think you brought up a good point there that on, there's, there's outliers on both sides of the spectrum. The three quarterbacks that lead the FBS in pressure passing grade right now, Mason Fine at number one, Joe Burrow at number two, Love and our it. guy Jamie Newman at number three. Mm. Those are the three best we'll from touch a, on from one a, of those. Yes, and Justin Herbert, not too far down the list at number five with his seventy-four point three passing grade. What I look for the first nice. thing when I when I'm yeah. diving into pressured passing grade in PFF's you know database here, I look at the turnover-worthy plays. How many you got? How yep. many turnover-worthy plays are you? How often are you putting the ball in harm's way when you're under pressure? Because that's really what separates the good players from the bad ones under mm-hmm. pressure, specifically the, the quarterbacks. Because it, it, it's more than just making. Not it's you don't have to make a ton of good decisions under pressure. You just can't make a ton of bad ones. Exactly. When you're making the bad ones under pressure, that's how you fall into Jacob Easton territory of the PFF passing grade. Um, moving forward here, you also want to bring up Aaron Fuller. Drops have been a problem for this guy. He's yeah. a spectacular catch waiting to happen, but he's also a drop waiting yeah. to happen at this point. Yeah, I think now two drops in this one, bringing him up to seven on 50 catchable for the season. You're in very much concerned territory because he had seven on 60 six catchable last year uh seven now on 50 this year well over 10 percent both those years that's just and for him he doesn't make up for it enough with the rest you know you can take drops from a guy from an market we've talked about sport you can take drops from a guy who's the lead at all the other stuff he is not and so at that point uh, I'm, I'm just i'm off aaron fuller at this point wow. you'd be off aaron fuller with how much drops have been an issue over the course of his career Dang, just dropping him. Just dropping him like that. Dropping him. I didn't mean, that was a a pun not intended there. Let's go forward here. I think we have another poor one out. Okay, a little combo deal, a little two for one, if you will. Tyler Johnson, the UAB quarterback that Mike Renner practically asked to marry him before the season started, did not have a good start here against Tennessee. I didn't, didn't ask to marry me. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't. But Tyler Johnson looked very bad against Tennessee. And Jordan Love, the Utah State quarterback, another bad game for him. Both of these quarterbacks had potential to kind of emerge in this conversation of this class, but they're kind of falling short of late. Yeah, I think Johnston still. Um, a name to watch. I think he has another year of eligibility. I want to say uh, he's he's still kind of like on the fringe. He never was going to be a top prospect, but I still uh, he still leads the NCAA in big time throws this year. Dude loves to sling it. Um, <laughs> he has 27 now on the season, but Jordan loves the far more bigger name who was a real prospect who people had as you know either 
people had like QB two heading into the season. Uh, people had as a first round player heading into the season. He has more picks than touchdowns this year. He's twelve picks and nine touchdown passes this season. Yikes. That's just that's not going to happen. He had four more turnover worthy plays this past week. Only one big time throw. He has legitimately been bad this year. Like legitimately bad to where there's no chance he's declaring at this point. Now, does he come back to Utah? Now he's definitely going to come back to school, but does he come back to Utah State, or does some does he get coveted in the transfer, uh, the grad transfer, you know, uh, portal? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I hope that he transfers. To be honest, you just want to yeah. see him against better competition. Mm-hmm. As a scout, again, it goes back to you want to see him play some real defenses. So, would love to see him go to LSU. Would love to see him go to a you know a, a real school here to uh, play some real defenses. But this year has been brought up a lot of concerns that were kind of there last year, but they've only been amplified. He is another guy who looks like he's trying to press to improve his draft stock. And when you don't have the talent around you or don't have the sort of situation that's conducive to that, you can't press and you can't try to put it all on your own back. Uh, You still have to play within an offense, and he has not been doing that. Yeah. Uh, I want to start with Tyler Johnson looking at clean pocket passing performance. He's earned a 90.6 PFF passing grade, which ranks tied for 11th in the country among those with at least 50 clean dropbacks this year. But I look diving deeper, 21 big time throws from a clean pocket, which is incredible. 13 turnover worthy plays when kept clean. (laughs) That is a problem. That is a legitimate problem. That is roller coaster city. I mean, he's just hilarious to watch, but he's, uh, this was, he's still, like I said, he was always going to be a project. Um, I, I think we just he is who he is at this point, and it is we are, we too, are. he's too he's too up and down. This game against Tennessee, a real defense. He just he didn't look at, he looked like he'd never seen cover two before. Mm-hmm. Like he just didn't know how to read cover two. He was throwing the ball directly to the flat defender, uh, just as if the guy shouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. He's I don't want to say I'm off him because I was. You're never going to be off him. I'm never going to be off him, but. Uh, just come back to school. Going Tyler. back to Jordan Love, if he does transfer, where are you thinking for a school that would make sense for him? I mean, Oklahoma, obviously. Ooh. Like if you're if you're if for him for his sake, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Realistic, like what it would be best for like evaluation purposes. You want to see him go like SEC somewhere, mm-hmm. LSU, Alabama. I don't know anywhere yeah. in the anywhere in the Oklahoma SEC. I'm pretty sure anywhere though. in the SEC would take him. Like people realize this is a real deal talent out there, uh, but. It just has not been there this year. That would be very interesting to see if he does transfer. Um, that's going to do it for the college prospects here. We, we poured some out. We raised some glasses. But let's go to Rolling Rooks, talking about some of the top rookie performances. We're going to start with your guy, Marvell Tell, the USC safety. But I remember you before the draft's like, dude, this guy's kind of athletic. He could maybe play cornerback. I could see him at outside corner. Pierre Desir is not playing for the Indianapolis Colts in this past week. Mm-hmm. Marvell Tell gets to start at outside corner, turns in a great game. He made PFS team of the week. Oh, I love to see it. He had himself a day. Uh, three of five targets, only 26 yards, had a PBU, had a coverage stop, and this could be one of this could be my opus. We put him at 91st on our draft board. He ended up being, I believe, a fifth round pick. Uh, we were very high on him, and I loved his you know short area quickness. I loved his ability. And super long arms. I thought he could be a press corner. Uh, he was not physical necessarily. Was not Dude, going to be a he safety. He's the opposite he of physical. Sh- <laughs> people hated him because uh, he was we, not a safety. Do you remember that when we thing. watched? Uh, it was uh, I think we watched Marquise Blair, and then you and then, then yeah. you pulled up Marvell Tell, and it was like complete opposite. Like one was an absolute cinder block mm-hmm. running around with his head chopped off, and the other one was like a pillow, a pillowcase, and run support. But yes. and I think that's uh, another reason why you were kind of saying move him to outside corner. Don't and have him play the them. run. Yeah, protect him from that. And I think now an outside corner. 
do, do, as, as the Indianapolis Colts, do you start to think over. about this guy? Is that not uh, I, I liked him a lot, and this was a very encouraging start. The second real, real like look they've had it on this first time was solid as well last the week before, prior. So, uh, Marvell Tell, this could be my opus, my, my call, because I don't think anyone else really had Marvell Tell on the radar. Because everyone, everyone had to want me to pat you on the back? Or, yes. Oh, geez. Uh, let's go forward I just here. I'm tired. My of, I'm, t- I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. Uh, DK Metcalf had another good game. He continues to impress with Seattle. I think he is mm-hmm. really you know, turning in good production. I think he had a, a couple nice catches this past week. Tyler Lockett had some good ones as well, but DK Metcalf really turning in strong production as a rookie. Yeah, six catches, 123. That's going to be him. You know, 20 plus yards uh, per catch is should be like him over the course of his career. And we said that coming out. We're like, if you if you think of him as Julio Jones just because he's freakishly athletic uh, and want him to be a 110 catch guy, you're going to be sorely disappointed. That's never going to be who DK Metcalf is. He is more like Deshaun Jackson than he is Julio Jones, even though physically he's like two Deshaun Jackson. Exactly. But that's who he is as a player. And I think in Seattle's offense, they've, that is how he's been utilized. And you saw him catch that deep crosser. In this Against one. Jamel Dean. Against Dude, Jamel, Jamel Dean. Dean never had a chance Who we'll there. get to later. Never had a chance. Dude, but was Jamel Dean. Bigger, faster, all that. Well, faster. Jamel Dean ran a 4-3-1. I know. That's line. true. That's true. And he's running away from him. So I think DK Metcalf, just that level of athleticism is going to play in that Seattle offense if you just get him down the football field. And it's only still scratching the surface. I think he's dude's still only 21 years old. Like, oh, man. And he's doing this. So, And, and I'll nuts. say this, too. I think they – that was a good – that was strong of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to put Jamel Dean on DK Metcalf because they he was a bigger dude that ran fast. Yeah. But DK Metcalf, I mean, just a different level of athlete. Exactly. And then and did you see after the catch, he just turned on a whole other gear. Like, it, DK Metcalf looks like a legitimate – Threat, And I think, like you said, Seattle is using him exactly how they should. Mm-hmm. Don't get him involved like 16 targets a game like you're doing for Tyler Lockett. Take your shots. And more often than not, six of nine targets here, 123 yards yeah. and a touchdown. Titus Howard making a, a nice little appearance on the Rolling Rook segment. He's not a blackout segment. That is um, very interesting. With Titus Howard here, um, played a good game. For Houston, I think he's starting to get better as the weeks progress. I mean, in the start, he was not playing well. Now at a different position, though, playing better. Well, he's the reason why you don't flip tackle. Like, not the reason why, but there's other reasons why. He is the poster boy for flipping a guy from the position he's played for his entire career, right tackle, where he played at Alabama State. Uh, or was it Southern Alabama? I can't think right now. One of those two. Uh, where he played all of college at right tackle. They flip him left tackle. Oh, why is it not working out right away? Him completely changing positions and going from, you know, FCS football to the NFL. Why is he not pass protecting well? Let's kick him into guard. Oh, why is it not working there? Oh, let's go back to the position that he played his whole career. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it finally, oh, maybe it's starting to work. So he has a 76.4 now pass blocking grade at right tackle. Had a 47.1 in the game he played at left guard. Didn't allow pressure this past week against wow. Josh Allen. So Tyus Howard. Um Keep him at right tackle because yeah. it's just as valuable as left. There you go. Noah Fant is a guy that's making our rolling rook segment as well. He obviously had that 75-yard touchdown where like three Browns defenders like bounced off of him. Yeah. I'll say this. And caught the ball. We're going to set. Yeah, he caught gonna, the ball. Give gonna, credit where credit's due. He did not drop that pass. <laughs> so we'll take that. And we've, we've said, too, when he does catch it, he is good after the catch. Yes. He does have great athleticism, can force missed tackles like he did. But I will say this right now. Those are three of the most least, <laughs> three of the least impressive force missed tackles well, I've seen this year. Well, and it sounds was, like a hater. I sound like a hater, but I'm, I'm serious. One of them was Jermaine Whitehead, who then got cut after the game and was defending himself on Missing Twitter. more tackles on Twitter yeah. with each tweet. Man, it was not great. One of them was him. 
One of them was a guy getting blocked off uh, the tackle, and the other one was a, a legit yes. missed tackle. But it was the funny thing is the one thing I said, Noah Fan coming out, I'm like, he's not going to be a real tight end. He's not going to be a complete tight end. If you want to throw him, you want him to be Travis Kelsey, you want him to be George Kittle. That's never going to happen. But crossing routes, going across the field, yes, he's going to outrun a linebacker. Straight vertical routes, going down the field, he's going to test safeties. This was a crossing route across the field. <laughs> Like uh, that is that's going to be him is what he's going to have to be over the course Runs of his in career. in a straight line. Like, just like people are bouncing exactly. off. It looked like um, Forrest Gump, just like right <laughs> down on the kick return. Really just people bouncing off. Like of he him. actually like that was so no, true. No, he, no he didn't try. Exactly. It was he a train on a train track and just every Browns defender, Jermaine Whitehead included, just bounced it, off. There were deer just running across <laughs> to try to hit the yes, train. Yes. Um, well, that, I think that was the nicest way we could have put Noah Fan's performance there. <laughs> Let's go Andy Isabella, another guy that had one big play uh, on Thursday Let's night, go. actually, against, Thursday, uh, against the San Francisco 49ers. Andy Isabella, outside wide receiver, comes across the field, burns this guy, tries to undercut it. It's a good pass from Kyler Murray. He takes Great the 88 pass. yards for a score. Great Shakes, play by Andy Richard Isabella. Sherman. Looks very good. Just he's back. Just that's all. He's Andy back. Isabella made a play. Yes. <laughs> that's all. We just had to talk Andy about Andy Isabella, it he, truthers, wake up. Dude had not seen the field uh, and, and another guy who we had we were high on because this is what we thought he was capable of, and this has value in the NFL. That's what like winning down the field an eighty-eight yard touchdown. He's not going to be, and Isabel was not going to be a ten catch guy coming out. Even he though everyone be, wanted to be, everyone wanted him to be this Julian Edelman, Wes yes. Welker because he was no. white and small. Yes, Th- just absurd. Like this guy is a different talent. He is a deep threat. He's he a guy that wins on a vertical another, route tree yeah. at outside wide receiver. I was so upset. I remember sitting down with him at the combine because there's he wasn't one of the players that got a podium. He was a guy that was mm-hmm. sitting on the side here, even though he end, ended up being a second round pick. First question from I don't remember. Who, I'm not going to drag anybody, but it was a reporter. He's like, a lot of people carry to, compare you to Wes Welker. Do you think you can win in the slot? I was like, dude, like no. this guy doesn't play in the slot. He, and then he admitted, like, when I went to the Senior Bowl and John Gruden asked me to play in the slot, he was like, it was a real different. It was really different. I had to win mm-hmm. with, like, crafty routes rather than pure speed. And I was like, dude, just put this guy outside, watch him burn a couple kids. And we saw that against the San Francisco 49ers on Thursday yeah. night. and that's who he's going to be. But he's going to catch, you know, three to four balls a game. But one of those balls might go for 70, 80 yards yes. is the thing. And, and that's what you – that's why they draft him the second round. I, I just can't believe that, you know, this was – his you know his 17 snaps in this game was the third most he's taken all season Jeez. i just don't know why and it was like you saw that uh, like behind the, the scenes like uh war room thing with arizona cardinals after and like um yeah. cliff kingsbury's excited that he got and isabel the second round i don't understand if it's playbook concern or whatever it may be why isn't this guy you know, getting on yeah the like field I, I, like we've talked about we talked about Keyshawn johnson uh, a few weeks ago about how he's just a limited receiver and mm-hmm. has not done a lot like he's a very much a possession receiver and just hasn't done anything in terms of yards after the catch uh, in that offense. Why not go for the guy who, yeah, like those five yard hitches are only doing you so much good. Just let Andy Isabella rock on some downfield routes. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. They don't have a lot of other downfield speed. He's another guy offense, I'd love to get so. in the pod. You got we'll Shiano Grady yeah. on one side of the spectrum. Also, obviously, <laughs> Justin Herbert as well. Yeah. But I'd love to get Andy. We, we, we interviewed him twice or two or three times in the pre draft process. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one of the Few, like people that were really high on him, I'd love to get him on the podcast. Talk about his rookie year, how, why he's struggling to get on the field. I think that some insight there would be valuable. I would really love to know. Just um, want to see how he does going forward. Uh, blackout segment. I'm thinking. I'm ready to blackout. I think we need to um, get a little song. Like we need a tune for this segment. Like I'm ready to blackout. And there's like, well, like rave music or something. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, help me out here, Renner. Darius Slayton. Rave music would work though. Yeah, rave music would work. 
Uh, Darius Slayton, the New York Giants, one, tar- one reception on four targets, and he had a drop. This is a guy that's, I think, boom or bust. I mean, he, he's that deep threat that you know catches footballs. You know, he has like that splash play here and there. I think that's why he's mm-hmm. a, like a known name in the NFL right now. But he's another one of those guys that's never going to be a ten reception, twelve reception a game guy. Yeah, Slayton was cut his teeth as a vertical threat. That's what he was at Auburn, uh, four three seven or something. I think he ran coming out. Uh, and, and has good size, six one one ninety. Not just you know, not an undersized guy like an Andy Isabella. But in this one, I worried about drops with him coming out. Three drops now on uh, twenty catchable. So the drops have continued. In this one, he had one drop, only caught one ball for six yards, uh, and he was you know he played the whole game like he was out there pretty much every single snap. So did not go great for him on Monday night. Yep, not at all. Let's go to Jamel Dean. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Did not have a good day against DK Metcalf and company. 14 targets, 9 receptions allowed, 155 yards, and 3 touchdowns. And he earned a very low coverage grade with 3 pass breakups. That's hard to do. Right. That's when you're getting toasted by DK Metcalf on that crosser and, and, and all of that. What do you, what's your take? I think a good. A, it's a good time to talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what they've invested in the secondary in recent years. You got MJ Stewart. Carlton Davis, Mike Edwards, Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy Bunting. In the last two drafts, they have poured yeah. draft capital into the secondary. First talk about Jamel, yeah, first talk about Jamel Dean and kind of the rest of that group in Tampa Bay. Well, Dean kind of got thrown to the Wolves. This is the mm-hmm. first time he played all year. Thrown he, to the Metcalf. He had, played, he had played before. This is the first time he like actually played. 57 snaps, had played four total coming into this. So thrown to the Wolves, get, gets on DK Metcalf and just, uh, just gets burned. He, he did not look like he was running a 4-3 there. Uh, in this game, so a uh, little, it's tough to say right out the gate. We've seen some other cornerbacks in their very first games get toasted like that, so it's rough. But he was not uh, any by any means a polished product. He literally press played press on every single snap at Auburn, and it wasn't like it wasn't like how you press in the NFL. It was just he was right up in a guy's grill, and he probably played at like 220 pounds at Auburn because I'd swear he looked like a linebacker. Uh, <laughs> he did. He, he like did. I was like, that dude is a linebacker out there, and all he would do is just chuck as hard as he could wide receivers and didn't have to like care about actually following them along the route. So it was a difficult eval, and when he ran a 4-3-1, I was absolutely floored because he did not look like it. And again, in this game, he didn't look like a 4-3-1 kind of guy. So... I don't know. I wasn't super high on him coming out. Uh, we'll see if things change, but it, it was a tough matchup for him. Another cornerback that got burnt to a crisp. We're going to go to the New York Giants here again. DeAndre Baker did not have a good game against Amari Cooper again. And I think to be fair, no one's like had a good game against Amari Cooper. This Marshawn year. Lattimore. Marshawn Lattimore okay. had that game. Marshawn okay, Lattimore yeah. was would shut him down. But DeAndre Baker hasn't had a good game against anyone though. Yeah. I mean, DeAndre Baker is a frequent blackout so far. Wait, this no, year. we 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 uh we he rolling rooked against Arizona. Okay, rolling rook against the Andy Isabella. Le- Andy yeah. Isabella list. Arizona Cardinals. Wow. Say that again. Uh, DeAndre Baker, though, really struggled in this one. I had that, that early uh, outbreaking route from Mari Cooper. We hurt his knee. He got toasted off screen. Was clamoring for a penalty for some reason, even though it was very little contact at mm-hmm. the top of that route. That was a concern. And then you have that. What was kind of? I've seen some some things on Twitter where they were supposed to be running two man. He kind of just stays off of Mari Cooper. I'll tell you this right now. It was. I'm busted. not sure it mattered. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> it, it was busted coverage. But that did not matter. I don't think DeAndre yeah. Baker is sticking with Cooper on that bus mm. uh, on that uh, in cutting route there. I think Baker 
And we said this going in. I mean, we like DeAndre Baker. He graded well in PFL uh-huh. system, but that he's a football he, player. Yes, he took advantage of college football's yeah, contact rules. You know, because yeah. he, he after five yards, he was beating up dudes. Yeah, and it was to, another to, to kind of guard his speed. I would say. Yeah, it was another thing, kind of like what we we're talking about. Uh, we we're just talking about Dean in terms of like it's a coverage role that doesn't exist in the NFL. It's a way of playing coverage that you just can't do mm-hmm. the NFL level. His wasn't just press coverage. His was off coverage where you just hit the guy yeah. when he got into your if if you if he was transitioning into a vertical route you hit him to stay with him it's something that you know bump and run like you used to be able to do in the NFL before they instituted uh, illegal contact on the football field and it's a way of just like saving yourself and he was a master at it there at Georgia very physical very physical at the catch point as well but you can't do that in the NFL you have to be able to transition from off to then you know flipping your hips and going vertical and anytime he's had to do that sure it's been bad just he has gotten toasted fourth game this year. We've got allowed a hundred yards in his coverage. So things have been bad. Before we dive into the micro brew, we're going to bring up a kid from North Texas. The little bit of news just broke that Garner Minshew will be benched for Nick Foles in week 11. And I'll say this, the the Garner Minshew mania was fun. I I was Mm. considering growing out or shaving down a beard and just having a mustache, perhaps buying a Jersey, but that fourth quarter against Houston and London was very, very bad. Very, you know, was really a such a terrible way to go out with Nick Foles getting healthy. It was two very bad interceptions, overthrows by a mile, and then he tries and scrambles and fumbles the football. Three very bad turnovers in the fourth quarter of a game. They could have won. I think, Recency bias, you leave a bad taste in the mouth. And he's been up and down here and there. Gardner Minshew goes goes to the bench for Nick Foles. What are you seeing right now is the future of Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville? Well, I think you're encouraged by what we saw, obviously. Like, it, he still has a 72.2 pass grade. It's been, like, fine. He, you never really saw super high-end, though, play. Obviously, is he the capable case, of the KC, the KC game was great in terms of, like, accuracy, but it was all underneath, all, you know, thinking that sort of stuff. You never saw, like take over like Nick Foles has had games yeah. Super Bowl and Nick mm-hmm. Foles had, you know, had a whole stretch where he just was lights out sort of uh, elite level quarterbacking now he's not been that over the course of his career but you just you were banking on the reason like I didn't think it was going to be a conversation whatsoever Nick Foles was going to be the starter once he's back healthy was because well one they paid him 20 million dollars to do it and two <laughs> he's had that high end you've he's won games four teams I'm not sure they were necessarily winning on the backs of Gardner Minshew he was facilitating wins but not I, winning the game. Uh, let me let me let me make this comment. I don't know if I hundred percent agree with you. Oh, okay. Garner Minshew's high end. I think the problem with it is it's unpredictable. It's that ga- it's that you know scramble out of like four guys diving at him against the Denver Broncos, mm-hmm. heaving it into the end zone, and it's a touchdown. But I think that play under pressure, as we've seen, is very unpredictable, very volatile, depending on different factors. And with Garner Minshew, he never took over games from like a clean pocket. He never took over games Just in situations diced. that are stable. Yeah. I, I I think that moxie and that mustache and the jorts got people going. And when you do make those highlight plays that mm-hmm. you probably can't do twice. I think there were plays that he made on the high end of things that you probably don't see twice from Gardner Minshew in his career. With Nick Foles, you do see it a couple of times. I think, like you said, he does take over games. I think his high end is a little bit more stable than what Gardner Minshew's is. And I mean, they're four and five right now with you know with Minshew. So they were a fine team. You're hoping you can be a playoff team. You're yeah. hoping you could be you know an 11, a ten and six sort of team. So I think that's why you made. The You're trying to sip down, uh, but it's a good. But it's a good in terms of like. If Nick Foles does not play well down the stretch uh, with that big contract and that you can kind of get out from under uh, in the coming years, you feel a lot better about just being like, hey, we 
will build around Minshew. Now you actually you don't have to necessarily go elsewhere at the quarterback position. You trying to go microbrew? Let's go microbrew. North Texas quarterback Mason Fine. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that's graded well in PFF's you know PFF system in the, in previous year, also this year as well. Talk to me about Mason Fine. Yes, Mason Fine led the NCAA led FBS last year in big time throws. It's only five eleven. Only like 200 pounds. Little, I love this kid's backstory. Guy, but he has a cannon of an arm. One of the strongest arms in the country. Definitely a stronger arm. Stronger arm than Joe Burrow. Stronger arm than Tua. He has, uh, it's not Herbert level. Doesn't look as pretty. But he had a deep out uh, this past week against, gosh, did they play UTEP? I don't know. Some, I think it was UTEP. Where it just was on the money. Uh, you know, about as good, a, about as pretty a throw as you'll see all week. Uh, probably about 15 yard deep out. Put it over the corner. Uh, beautiful throw over the past two weeks. He's gone 50 of 77 for 725 yards, 12 touchdowns and zero interceptions. I think he was a guy who had points during this uh, similar, fell into a similar trap that Jordan Love did. You're at a small school. You're kind of a, you're, you're a prospect at this point. People, you know, we're treating fine as a prospect. All of a sudden you're like, I have to do more. I have to get my name on the map. And you saw him just pressing, throwing balls down the football field, uncharacteristic compared to the rest of his career. I think he's settled down, though, over the past two weeks as two highest graded games of the year. So Mason Fine, arm strength, that sort of stuff, playmaking outside the pocket. You love to see uh, the only thing, his pocket presence isn't great, and he holds the ball. He has a little cock where he holds the ball down low, kind of around his uh, waist at times, which is not good. It's not where you want to be holding the ball. Bortles-esque sort of release. So we'll see. I, I think he's a nice late-round guy, uh, almost similar to... Uh, name who's escaping me now, but the 49ers quarterback from last year from Nick uh, Mullins. Nick Mullins, yes. Looking at Mason Fine, I wanted to dive in the background a little bit. Two star recruit coming out. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously because he was small, he was like five for eleven. I think like you know maybe two hundred pounds soaking yeah. wet, whatever it was. Um, had was recruited Moldover offers from Emporia State and Central Oklahoma, but then took a preferred walk on opportunity at Oklahoma State before committing to North Texas. I think Fine. Ha, is is going to be looked down upon for his size. He's not a tools guy, not a looks the part look guy. Upon, yeah. But look down upon, yeah, that's on Good me. Um, Mason Fine, I think you do see the high end. I think the throw you highlighted on Twitter where he's going opposite hash over the top, that, that was yeah. just insane. And I don't care how small you are. I don't care how small your hands are, even Tyler Johnston at Cough Cough. But I think with Mason Fine, I, I think the... The plays you do see, he's not going to pass the eye test when he shows up at the combine, you know, whatever it may be. But I think on the field, you see him make some special throws. I saw you call out Jim Nagy, get this guy an invite to yeah. the senior bowl. I want to see him in Mobile. Um, that's going to do it for the two for one drafts podcast. We're going to you know, ran through some segments there. I think we had a lot of fun. Um, but this has been Austin Gale and Mike Renner. Remember to tune in. We do it every Tuesday and Thursday. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, all of those things. We're also live on YouTube. Get out there again. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts.